I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Well, this is an interesting book. Oh my goodness. So many women are going to be led astray by this. I thought it was a fine book. I don't... Well, I enjoyed reading it, but I just... I just, I have concerns about the the impact this is going to have on the next generation. The gospel. Yeah, where is the gospel? I mean, what is going to happen to the gospel? I, I just, I, I didn't see that as a priority for her in this. I'm, I'm, wait. Sorry, go ahead. So, but I thought, I thought the book was about this woman's experience in in the church and isn't the gospel all about like writing wrongs and being more Christ-like and learning from mistakes. Am I, am I missing something really important about the book? You mean you feel like she's attacking or? No, no. I thought, I thought she was, I thought she was doing the work. I thought she, I don't, I don't see how this book is a threat to the gospel. I think I'm confused. I, I, I just worry, you know, someone outside the church would read it and assume that all churches are like this because we really just, that's not that's not reflecting well on the gospel overall. That's so true. I mean, I'm in a complementarian marriage and I mean, I love my relationship with Brendan. I mean, I never feel like he's controlling me. I mean, like I yeah. can my allowance any way I want. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I don't have an allowance, but I don't need to cuz like every th- I don't need anything. Mike provides everything. I, I just I I worry that this is going to give, you know, children who have turned their backs on the Lord more ammunition to just hate the church and just like act like her experience is their experience. And um, I mean, you know, my, my, my children have strayed and we're all praying for them. And I just, Mm -hmm. I, I worry if like this got into the hands of someone like my daughters, you know, what they would use to discredit our our witness. Well, your church isn't going to let it be on the shelf in the bookstore, right? No, no. But my, I mean, as you know, my children haven't set foot in the doors of our church in a long time. So I'm sure they, this is something that they'll be looking for. They, they love to find new things to send me and be like, well, what do you think now? <laughs> At least I can say I read this one. How many children do you have again? Seven. You know, I she if she had had more children, I bet she wouldn't have had time to even write this book. That that's, I mean, I, fundamentally, that's, that's so true. That and is just, true. Yes. If she'd been focused on, you know, her her calling uh, of motherhood and biblical womanhood, like she wouldn't she wouldn't have had time to, uh, you know, dwell on these resentments. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read that story about how while she was on her honeymoon, she saw some guy in a woodshed and she thought about having sex with him? Like, sheesh. Like, yeah, that was uh, that was a bit much. <laughs> I mean, we knew she was already an outsider. I just I just worry about, you know, has she has she strayed from the faith? Like, do you think she was even a Christian to start with? I, I don't even know. If she was I mean, yeah, I, I think I think I think that's a valid question. Like, yeah. If she was at you, you know, ostensibly a believer at that point and having those kinds of thoughts, like I don't know, maybe she was hiding a porn addiction or something. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty. I mean, she said she said the N word, like the nip, nip, nip. Oh, the it's other okay. one. Yeah, nipple multiple times. I, I just, I was so offended by that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I dropped my pearls. I need to go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I will say, while I while I do not necessarily feel like the entire body of the book like contradicts the gospel, I will say there were parts like that one part where I I do have concerns. Mm. Which which one part? The the part about seeing the the dude on the honeymoon and having some lustful thoughts and. you know, just like the basic tenets of. Yeah, well, you know, you know, I wonder if she if she drove her husband away from the faith with <laughs> her, her lack of dedication to 
biblical womanhood. And, you know, if she just, you know, feel, practice biblical womanhood. Yeah. I mean, we, we all should aspire to. I mean, yeah. I've only ever had, I've only ever had eyes for, Bl- for Brendan. He's, he is so hot, Brendan. I'm, I'm, everybody has their thing and I'm glad you have yours. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> no this is working <laughs> I, I don't think I could do it anymore I like I, I, I can't access that part of my brain it's, it's, it's great offline for a while it's <laughs> okay you can use it or not I probably have to the top but I <laughs> hi y'all um, we're here with Shannon Harris <laughs> Uh, to talk about AKA her Brendan's wife. Uh, Brendan's wife is the woman they wanted. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, I need a okay, I'm so glad <laughs> we're doing this, and I'm really glad I got to see you uh, at your event in DC. I know you've posted some some videos of the cold open you did there. I, this is part of why we were playing around with this because I think. <laughs> There's a lot of material here. <laughs> yes, yes, there is. I, I'm so I'm, glad. I'm so, so, so glad. Uh, that dad bod's working for you. <laughs> oh, my God. That, yes. I I have been watching your Instagrams where you've, been doing bits of the church ladies reading the book and every single time it's just it's so funny and it's so good and i appreciate it and thank you for (laughs) for joining us for letting us join your care group about about the book well we'll care group book, book club i i doubt that any care group would be allowed to read this like god but the question that they would be asking the entire time is whether or not you are still a Christian. That is 100% the question that they would, and, and, and also whether or not it reflects badly on the gospel, but mostly whether or not those things are like, even if she thinks she's still a Christian, she never was. Were <laughs> you, right. you ever truly, truly a Christian? I mean, you did say uh, that you were coerced into becoming a Christian. So, you know, maybe that doesn't count. What? I, I believe I was a very true Christian, for sure. But that's debatable in the Christian community. <laughs> yeah. I, it is such a it is such a trend, and I I wonder how much of this is like just those of us who are neurodivergent who like keep asking the why question and like never get answers. Like the the ones who are the the true believers who keep being like, but this doesn't make sense, but it should make sense, but like by your own rules, this should make work this way and it's not like those are the ones who end up leaving because the internal inconsistencies and the hypocrisy just become untenable yeah no that's true that's true cult or not (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, cognitive dissonance is it's hard and it's it's difficult to like handle and that's the, this is a sidebar, but one of the most annoying things about having left the faith is people are like, oh, well, you didn't, you weren't really a Christian. You didn't really care. I'm like, no, what led me out of the faith was being a true believer. Like I, I took that shit so seriously and none yeah. of, none of this matched. And I couldn't match the dissonance between mm-hmm. what I was being told at church and what I was like, what I knew about the actual gospel, like yeah. What did you expect me to do? This was your own design. People are leaving the pews because you are paving the way. Like, exactly. this is your doing. You, you refuse to have rigorous standards for yourself, so mm-hmm. you're losing us. I took it literally like you told me to. I don't understand what your problem is. I know. It's painful. It's it's painful. It's 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 painful to be dismissed when when you've when you've taken it all so deeply. And yeah, yeah. I, one thing I loved about this book as a text is, you know, 
that cognitive dissonance part makes it really hard to write a clear narrative. And I could tell you put a lot of work into this and that clarity came through the focus and the like the streamlining of the narrative pieces and the arcs. Did you struggle with that in the writing process a lot? Was that trying to like figure out like what was what was your actual experience versus what you were told your experience was? Um, you mean what was my actual experience in the church? Like in terms of like these moments of like I know I felt this way, but like just second guessing because the cognitive dissonance is so intense. Yes, I mean. To answer your your question or the the statement you made just before, I mean, I think writing about trauma is a traumatic experience is so hard because trauma isn't always clear, and I think it it made me very fuzzy on some some in some ways, you know, just. And I think even while I was writing it, I was still, I was still processing trauma. So I would, I, I was still having revelations about my own life while I was writing the book, which was kind of crazy. Most of it I had processed, but there was still, there was still some that I would, you know, I'd write and I would think, be thinking really hard about certain aspects of my story and and, and more things would come clear to me. So I don't, I'm glad it came across clear because I, I worried about that. And, and I don't know how long you've been following me, but like a couple of years ago when I was starting to do the mental prep work of this book, I, I would fill my walls with all of the stories and with these index cards and like words that represented different stories. <laughs> Do you see my, my murder wall behind me? <laughs> That's my book outline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I see on your wall right now, which is like just, you know, a collage. At times it felt very disorganized. It, it still feels disorganized. Like even after I wrote the book, you know, writing a book is very different even than talking about the book, like writing my story, but then having to come into an interview and being like, okay, make this all make sense for us in like three snippet points. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I really, yeah. Oh my gosh. Like it, it felt like a that's whole- what you wrote the book for. Yeah. I wrote the book so that I could hand it to you and you could shut up and read the book. Exactly. I was like, now I can figure out how to make, I just, I think I could, I was in disbelief that it still, it still didn't, feel hundred percent easy to just hand the, the, uh, fine points to you, you know? Yeah. But How it was, it, feel? it was kind of a brain dump book too. I wanted to get every idea or every main major thought that I had, you know, I needed to get it off of my, out of me. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that, that it was in some sense a brain dump and that's why I structured it the way I did with the, the little snippet stories and there's a hundred of them. Yeah, there's a lot of vignettes and I think it works really well for you. Um, it reminded me kind of Maggie Smith's memoir uh, does a similar thing with the, like the, just these like little tiny scenes and it kind of becomes a pastiche that works really, really good in concert. Yeah. So... I know that this originally started as a musical. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> Tell us about that. How, how did the musical differ materially? I mean, obviously besides medium, yeah. like the story, what, what was the, what was the arc? How did it change? Well, I think the musical, I mean, it was, I was very, I was very much in just like the initial stages of it. And I had, been playing around with songs and like I had a duet between like the main characters, which obviously would be like me and Josh. I think it would have been more playful, honestly, and, and maybe a little bit more. Um, it would be certainly less personal. So when I switched, mm. so COVID happened and that was the reason why I didn't do it as a musical. Um, my, my partner got stranded on an island without a computer. And so, and it was COVID and there was like nothing else to do. So I just decided that I would write this book. But I think for me, the book was probably a lot harder because it had to be more 
number one, more accurate, more detailed, more complete, more, more personal in many ways. It was, I think it ended up being really good, but it was, it was certainly harder. (laughs) It was going to be kind of like a play. It was going to, I was going to try to write the evangelical version of the book of Mormon. So it was Mm going to be kind of fun, a lot of humor. You know, I had, I had ideas in my mind of like robots, like the, you know, there was just going to be like, I don't know. Everyone coming. I want to see this. <laughs> it was it was pretty wild in my head, and um, and in my playwright had a fantastic idea that I cannot give away yet, in case we ever do it. I mean, just fantastic idea. I I, I wish I could share it. Anyway, I I think you know that's, that still sounds like there's a lot of life there, and hope I hope it can maybe happen if you would like that. I feel a little mixed because I'm definitely kind of ready to move on to other topics of material. But at the same time, like when you've spent 20 years doing something like this is also the material I have to draw from right now. I think one thing that people who didn't ever visit Covenant Life Church may not understand about like why the musical worked would work so well for that is that the church had was it's a it was a mega church and it had a really strong drama department and yeah. so there were a lot of skits that were part of everyday events a lot of these like they put on musicals the private school that was attached to it had had you know their annual plays or whatever so there was a lot of that going on and i can just if i you can wanted to envision be- it <laughs> you went to sgm if you could yeah. What did you say, Karen? Oh, if you wanted to be like the Christian theater kid, that's the church you would try to go to. Oh, yeah. Like okay. they were like my family wasn't SGM. They were their own special brand. Um, <laughs> but like even we knew of the like media production stuff that like happened really? because like there were CDs like there was like in Christian bookstores you could get like the music CDs and stuff. Right. It was, you know, pretty, pretty popular with regards that kind of set the standard of like mega church, like media production stuff. Yeah. There was no one else. I mean, I can think of churches in Richmond that were also mega churches, but none none of them were as fundamentalist as SGM. And so if you wanted like the two things together, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that was it. (laughs) Which is so interesting looking back, because if you think about it, like it was so fundamentalist, but also it had this really core group of artists, you know, mm-hmm. really strong, it, it attracted, I think, strong artists and creatives, yeah. which was, which is really interesting to me now. It kept a lot of people a lot longer than they would have stayed otherwise, I think. I think you're right. All right. Let's see. What do we have? <laughs> Karen, you want to ask this next one? <laughs> <laughs> Going to the craft with an ADHD brain. Oh. Um, like, what what was your writing process like? How did you like convince yourself to like sit down and work on writing the book and like make it actually happen? Well, <laughs> with ADHD, right? This is really hard for me. I'm like, I have to like putter for like six hours before it like becomes action. Oh, I puttered. I definitely puttered. I I mean, in one sense as you as you know, like I, so I haven't gotten an official diagnosis of ADHD, but I am absolutely 100% sure I have it. I in one sense I hyperfocused the entire time I was writing the book. So for a couple of years, so like my kids helps. <laughs> like I was struggling to have conversations with my kids, you know, in the evening. Cause I, it's so hard for me to like the moment I handed in my book, let's just say, I'll put it this way. It was like, whew, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. How are you today, honey? How, how was the last year for you? <laughs> you suddenly have yeah. room in your brain. Like other things exist. Are your kids like, Oh my God, finally mom's back. 
So, no, Emma, my oldest, literally said that. I was like, hi, you want to go out to dinner? You know, she's just like, yay, you're back. Um, <laughs> I tried to be a good mom, but, you know, the truth is I do hyper-focus to a crazy extent, which is so great and also frustrating as anything. But so I, I think that... Any woman who has spent more than a decade in a complementarian marriage is entitled to a couple years of being an art monster. Yes. Mom. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm getting better. And I, I do think, like you say, I do think that there's a season when you come out of a church experience like that where you're just you're just entitled to do a lot of things. Get angry, you know. But in terms of just like how how to how I tried to work every day, you know, it was definitely a kind of combination of learning to do it as a job, which it, you know, but also, but also there's that balance between inspiration and needing a break. And so I think it was a, it was a, just a total mix of all of that. Um, but I, but I worked really hard at it. Um, and I did, I did get into some good routines where I found the best times of days to work and sit down and work. Yeah. And I bet it felt nice to be able to be self-directed that way and not have to worry about other people judging you for how you were spending your time or. Yeah, it was, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was a little lonely writing a, writing a book for two years is like, mm-hmm kind of go into a cave, which I know I'm not the only writer that does that. So it's nice to be done, actually. Really nice. <laughs> In terms of like the big picture brain dump hyperfocus, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you ended up cutting. How did you make decisions about like what you wanted to include? Like what if there was any kind of rubric for like this hits this theme, that theme, or the other theme, and it has to stay. I feel like it was pretty. I don't know how to answer that. I think I think, like I said, I had a lot of topics that I knew I wanted to hit, and it and it was kind of up to chance what how I hit it. Like like when I went to sit down and write that one on Eve, you know, I had I usually would get an idea first, and then I would realize, oh, this fits in that category of this topic that I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. And once the topic was had a piece, I, you know, kind of checked it off in my mind. I also, you you have to write about what's clear and memorable. So in terms of like, you know, the first six chapters are more story and the the last chapter is more commentary. So a lot of my memory wasn't clear on something, so I couldn't write about those or there wasn't enough detail that I could make it make an impact. And, and those things, obviously, if I would try it and it wouldn't work out, I would just, you know, cancel it. Yeah. That's something that's really hard. Stick to stories that got my point across where I could actually remember a lot of detail. They say, you know, they say to do that with memoir. Yeah, it's really important too. And if you can't, and this is kind of one of the things I'm ending up doing in mine is just like making the the memory holes a plot point. Yeah. As part of the trauma stuff, which yeah. is a whole other approach. But I really appreciated the the clarity and the granular detail that you got in there. I feel like just in terms of accurate representation of what it felt like to be raised as a woman in that environment. Like there's very few things I can point people to about like this felt true to what this felt like. Thanks. That means a lot. Yeah. The entire time I was, I was reading the book while I was hanging out with Eve and I was reading it ahead of Eve. So I would give Eve all of the spoilers and, and like read bits out loud. And it was just so, it was so powerful the way that you were telling your story and your experiences in just this sense that like, I didn't grow up in SGM, but I grew up very similarly with all the same, the same very complementary and like rigidity. And it was just like, this is, this is what that felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you talked a lot about feeling like being in a fishbowl, which we're going to 
yeah. get to momentarily. And just like that resonated so strongly, just like being put what on a pedestal. In your mm-hmm. family? Yeah. Yeah. And just like being, because I'm the oldest daughter. So everything I did was like magnifying glass for everybody. And I was the first in my friend group to like court. So also like extra magnifying glass, like everybody was, was pulling out the binoculars to watch. Yeah, from the yeah. yeah. It was just like, here, watch, watch this, you know, person go through these things. So the way that you were describing your experience also going through like a very sort of like a puppeteer like courtship under yeah the, although yours was like a much grander scale than mine like oh, by far but yeah that feeling is still like you described it so accurately that it's something that I can point to people be like here this read this you will you will be able to like uh empathically like make that jump and understand wow. what that felt like and it's interesting because I think because I didn't looking back, I think, because I didn't grow up in the church. Like, I think that's why I had such really distinct, I don't know, once I got out of it, it just felt like this really distinct alternate reality to me mm-hmm. in a way that it didn't while I was in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> while I was in, in it, it I, I was normalizing it all. You had a baseline and it's like an external like thing that you could reference to be like, this feels weird. Yes, but it's so strange to me that I didn't feel it while I was in there. But after after some space, it was like, oh my gosh, this is so bizarre. And yeah, I think that might have helped me to make it. If it came across clear, I'm glad in it, and that might have been part of the reason it worked. I don't know. Yeah, I think for us, there's been a lot of that. Like, um, Kieran especially relates to the Tangled movie. Me too. So like, yes. the, like that stuff, uh, you know, where she's just kind of like checking, how, is, is she crazy or is this normal? Yes. I really related to that musical. I bawled in that movie. Like just, I I was, John Lasseter, he knows some shit. That, that's yeah. all I have to say. Was John Lasseter Quiverful, Quiverful Daughter? Maybe. I don't, I, maybe. I don't know. I The way he makes Pixar movies just hit all of the Quiverful Daughter strings. I wow. know something. I, I so get that. I so feel that, too. That was just the timing of it, too, was pretty powerful, I think, for me. And sounds like for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fishbowl stuff. So I found myself like losing my mind at this passage. And I don't know if you want me to read this or if you want to read this, this bit. Go for it. Okay. It's about the celebrity life and people paying attention to you. (laughs) Most of the male leaders in my own church treated me with dignity and respect. We got to know each other quite well through the years and the many meetings and discussions we had frequently in my home. I had my favorites with whom I was able to connect and share ideas. Still, the culture of our church meant the men held priority in whatever space we were in. Wives were viewed as inferior and adjunct. Men did most of the talking. Women did most of the smiling and nodding. And this is coming off of a passage where you're talking about being at a book event for Josh where people are acknowledging you or not next to him. This is on 118. This behavior spilled over into my married life with Josh. I went along quietly listening, not sharing my opinions, expecting him to do the thinking for both of us. It was a role I played well, but it never felt natural. I wanted to support my husband. I used my personal power in making a lovely home, teaching my children, providing healthy meals, and caring for the people in my church. Being his wife also meant that we were always on. Even our private life was subservient to my husband's career and the church. One Valentine's dinner, I wanted to have a glass of wine, and Josh asked me not not to for fear it would get back to someone higher up. One day, I came home to discover my childhood music collection had been thrown away for the very same reason. I had to return the prenatal yoga video I purchased in case someone saw it and thought we were returning Buddhist. Big church brother was watching over us all the time. This became very draining for me. There was no place, public or private, where I could let my hair down and relax. And again, like for those who don't know the Covenant Life Church community stuff, like there's like a neighborhood in Gaithersburg where like everybody lives and it's very hard to like go out in public without seeing anyone from the church, even though it's such a, like a metro suburb area. 
Yeah. It feels surreal that that's, that's how it is, but it functioned like a, t- a small town. Yeah, it did. And, and CJ really wanted people to live within five minutes of the church. I remember that being like a, like try to live close to the church. Yeah, it was a, it was a priority that was, you know, vocalized in all the other churches too. And the Richmond church, people would talk about that, like living further than 30 minutes from the church kind of felt like you were not prioritizing the community. Yeah. Yeah. So reading that passage was really interesting because I remember like, again, at our church, I because of my duties with younger siblings, I was not as like integrated in the teen stuff or the stuff my peers were doing. So I was a bit of a wallflower socially because I always had a baby on my hip and I couldn't do things because I was, you know, our friends are doing this. I have to babysit. I have to watch the kids. I have to help with this. But at home, there's no privacy. Like my dad would take people's locks off their doors we weren't allowed to have our own email accounts that we weren't allowed to have like social media that he didn't have access to and would be regularly checking. He was like checking our like internet browser history logs. Like there were, so like the surveillance state dynamic was replicated inside in the home. Oh my gosh. So it's interesting, like your description of this. And I think one of the things that makes you do is it makes you passive. Yeah. Like it encourages, like if I hold still, I won't get caught. If I'm not moving, it's like being a prey, like the predator's attracted to motion. Right. Right. Yep. <gasps> it will if, I hold, <laughs> if I hold still, oh, I won't get hit. <laughs> That, that is seriously a mind explosion for me. You were absolutely right. It felt like that. It felt like, you know what, if I just don't say anything, like that's why I think mm-hmm. I had such a hard time finding my voice again. Cause I literally just was like, you know what? I just won't say a word because I would rather not say anything than be constantly being evaluated for every little thing I say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's easier to just like hunker down t- to survive and like wait it out than it is to like actively fight yes it's horrible it's a horrible feeling you know to i am so sorry you experienced that like that in your own house that i I... wow (laughs) what the first christmas uh my ex-husband and i did with my family we got all my siblings uh locks for their doors and They loved that. <laughs> my, and my parents did not. It's amazing. <laughs> it was like, yeah, they deserve privacy. We're giving them new locks. Yeah, it's the whole ownership ish piece, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you are ours, and so we own you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in like, including like your thoughts, your friends, your access to information, everything. Gosh. Yeah. Something that I don't know if this was maybe the case for you, Shannon, but something that a lot of us who like sort of grew up in this movement and came out of have a hard time figuring out like what our likes even are or like refiguring yeah. out what our likes are. Like, did you also have to go through that really fun process of figuring out like basic shit that you have preferences about because you shut down for so long? <laughs> I remember that being a season where I was like figuring out, remembering that I have my own desires and my own preferences. And it was kind of fun. You know, it was like, and and I think along with that was the realization that it was okay for me to have enjoy and have yes. fun, um, that I had a right to enjoy things and that it, I feel like the, the doctrine of suffering is just so all yes. the time. Like, you always have to be suffering because that's that pleases God or something. I mean that that's such a twisted. <laughs> um, I think that doctrine is very hurtful and twisted. But but yeah, like just and I I think it was easier for me though having grown up not in the church because I have I and I say this because I've gotten letters from women and and 
and people who have said, you know, I don't even know what I like. I don't, I, I have a hard time connecting with even, you know, I don't even know if I like what I like for dinner. You know, I just right. not making any anyway, but well, if you've had an entire, like all of your formative, like developmental brain stages overridden by the, the, the brute force of blanket training or whatever in the suffering teachings, like, yeah, you don't, you, you've never been in touch with that part of you. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think I'm more wondering how that was for you, you guys having grown up in it. Cause I can wonder, did I have an easier time of it? Because, cause what I was going to say is I remember once I kind of woke up and had what I call my Barbie moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, I remember thinking, you know, I'm just going to connect with that, that person. I was like the year, you know, the moment I, before I joined the church, because I knew mm-hmm. who she was and I knew who I was then. And I just kind of, I just kind of used that old me as a handle for my new identity moving forward. And it helped. It helped. Oh, I made a list of things on sticky notes. That was how I figured stuff out. I was just like, is this, because I, you know, like I was fresh out of being married and recently estranged from my parents because I was like, maybe homeschooling isn't for everyone. And they were like, uh, fuck you, don't talk to us. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, so, nutshell version. Um, <laughs> so I was like, who the fuck am I? I don't even know. And I, like, my parents also had that same, like, idea of, like, suffering is holy. You should always be suffering if you, like, they would laugh at people who were, like, enjoying life and were like, these people are, like, sinners. Well, talk about the, like, the budgeting thing that was tied to this. Which budgeting? Thing. Like if if you had enough money, finally you were going to give away more. Oh, so you were like in want again because that was better. Oh yeah, yeah. So my parents like had this idea, and I don't know entirely where they came up with this, but it was basically like you tithe, right? That's ten percent. But then you also like give offerings, which is like on top of your ten percent. And my parents felt called by God to give 60% of their income to the church. 60? 60. Six zero. Yeah. And I'm the oldest. I have seven younger siblings and my dad, like one income homeschool family, eight oh kids, gosh. 60% of their income is going to the church. Any, any abundance is not like poured That's into the family. Down. It's right. going out everywhere else. So I have had a really hard time like learning that it is okay for me to like keep keep money to like invest in like enjoying literally anything at all. I had a whole existential crisis about like whether or not it was like okay for me to just like passively like playing video games or like like watching Harry Potter or like you know like pass yeah. like not even be like super into it but just like just lazy it? yeah right like doing something that is not chores <laughs> or like child rearing yeah. or like you know productive service or suffering exactly yeah and mm-hmm. so my solution to this when I was like 20 something was I like got a bunch of sticky notes and I was like, what are the things that like feel good and like resonate that like, that like bring me like whatever, like my closest approximation of like happiness was at the time. Cause I was also depressed obviously. And like, wasn't quite on medication at that point. So it's like, whatever, like the most closest idea that I have of like happiness is, what is it that brings me this thing? But it took a lot of work to get to the point where I could even sit down and like make that, list on sticky notes where it was like here this thing and I'd like I had it on sticky notes because I there were some things that like I didn't know if I liked and I wanted to try and if I liked it then I could like move it to like liked sticky note column on my wall with like not like sticky note column it had to be a running list for me too because I would forget what that feeling of pleasure or like like yeah release of joy and like not feeling guilty about it like I forget what that felt like. And so I would have to keep like a running list that I'd go back to and be like, oh, that's right. 
I like these things reliably. Yes. <laughs> That's what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of us who have like had to pull out that feelings wheel. Oh, those are so yes. handy. Uh, and and this, <laughs> went, this went right along with that. I, yeah. I think that it's so wonderful, but also sad that, that you have to work so hard to figure out what those things are. But I'm, gl- I'm really glad you're doing that. And I know that like for my, my daughter, my oldest daughter who got the worst of my uh, domineering parenting, you know, sometimes when I'm talking with her, I have to say, you know, you know, it's okay for you to enjoy this thing or whatever it is. It's like, I, I think my heart just breaks because you had to experience that as a kid. Yeah. No kid should have to do that. That That's yeah. like, that's adult level stuff that should not be put on children. But I'm also like really glad that you're able to have that conversation with your kids now that you can go back and be like, no, actually like I was wrong about this. You can enjoy these things. Like, please be full human beings. Thank you. Like I'm, I'm happy that you have the opportunity to do that now and that it seems like something you are doing. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get, too much into like how things are with you and your kids but I really did appreciate the last chapter of your book where you explained that like you saw them as human beings and like children have rights and like should be embraced for who they are and that meant so much to me as someone who like grew up in that like I'm so glad that you can have that with your children and that like that's part of your journey as a family of you being like actually you you do get to enjoy things like I yeah. I, I recognize there was wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. I grew. We can all grow. Totally. I yeah. I I mean I would love to tell a story, but it's too it's not fair for me to tell this story because it's it's you know it's too personal. But but I do remember I do remember my being able to see. I didn't call it abuse at the time, but it's like I could see the abuse I was going to be inflicting on my kids if I was going to ask them to have to measure up to all these expectations. And for some reason, I could see that the expectations that I would be heaping on them, they were the same expectations I was having. But for some reason, I couldn't see it the same way for myself. Like, if that makes sense. No, I I found that to be common among the like the really earnest true believers who like end up leaving if they've left because they had kids often it's because they like look at that like treatment of children and are like oh shoot I can't do this this is not right and it's not fair to this child and like suddenly being able to like have a kid of your own flipped the switch of like being able to see what was being done to them as children when they were kids yeah, because one of one of my kids, well, I, maybe no, I think just one of them has ADHD, and that child was getting. I was getting some emails from the school. You know? <laughs> I think this is pretty normal. Like, I don't think this is anything we need to be emailing about. <laughs> you might have um, ADHD if. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what we would have done if we hadn't moved we ended up moving but that year I was like I don't think I can I don't think my kids are gonna make it in this um it was you know which is like honestly good for those kids if they weren't going to be able to make it in that school because nobody should have to make it in that school (laughs) oh my goodness um yeah let's talk about the embodiment stuff a little bit before we have to, I know we have to wrap up soon here, but I love that this is a focus that you have been coming back to in your conversations and interviews and in the book. I, I think this is like the biggest thing that like really like first caught my attention as I was like starting to question things in the SGM theological universe is just like realizing as like a theology minor in undergrad, like didn't keep, but like whatever. (laughs) It was actually a double major, then a minor and then whatever. 
but realizing that the Catholics had a whole theology of the body and even if it like ended up in places that I deeply disagreed with, it made coherent sense with everything else. And the body had a part in how you had, uh, you know, practiced and lived out your faith. And there was like, there was an organized system that accounted for it as being part of everything. And I loved that and was like, it's really weird that the evangelical yeah. fundamentalist movement does not have that because there's so much talk about against things bodily with the purity culture stuff. Yeah. And it's just missing any of the other positive stuff. There's no positive theology yeah. of the body possible. So I don't know. How did you, how did you get back in touch with your being in your body? Well, actually, I think this this concept was like a precursor to the book. It was like the first time where I realized, wait a minute, this is freaking huge. Because I was up here in Vancouver, completely depressed, completely disconnected from everyone and everything. And I didn't even know people were talking about spiritual abuse at this time. Mm-hmm. I literally heard of spiritual abuse on Instagram. And when I heard, when I, I think it was- Right, you weren't allowed to look at the blogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes the blogs I heard about spiritual views while I was depressed and I was like that's a thing mm-hmm. oh my god <laughs> but I remember I don't know the timing which came first but I remember thinking I was thinking of theology I was thinking okay so God was like I was thinking of mind body spirit I was just kind of I was thinking in secular terms, right? And I was like, wait a minute. So mind would be God, like, you know, the Father. Yeah, you know, there's, father, a, there's a Trinitarian was, element here, yeah. yeah. Trinitarian element I was starting to think of. And I was like, so we have God, who, who technically we could say that's the mind. And then we have the spirit, who we could say that's the spirit. We had no body. because, And then I started to think through that. I was like, okay, yeah, I wasn't allowed to, like, even touch my person that I was going to be married to sex was really bad. We didn't take communion. We didn't, we did, but we didn't value it to the point where you would say like, okay, mm-hmm. there's a real understanding of the importance of experiencing our, um, you know, if, if, if taking, if, if Jesus's blood and body is the most important thing in your religion, you would think that communion would take precedence over the, it, uh, would that not be cross-centered <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, all these things and I and that and I remember being like I it wasn't like I really wrote anything but I had this title in my mind and so what came to my mind was the missing body of my Christianity mm-hmm. that was all I was like this um phrase that I got and I was like the more and more I thought about it the more I realized yeah, we had no body. And the more I saw that pervasively and that is not okay because we, you know, obviously we live, we live on the earth. We we live here. I mean, I could talk for hours of like how that, you know, continued to, I continue to see that everywhere. Like you see it in, you know, the, um, the focus on heaven. Mm -hmm. You see, yeah, no, there was, there's a yeah. pe- people I I knew from my time living in Gaithersburg, not going to CLC, but living there. People I knew who were involved in CLC at that point, who were actively facing like serious autoimmune problems or allergies or whatever, and they were refusing to go to doctors and get help for it because it was, you know, well, I'm. Everything became yeah, it's obviously thing. a sin issue. Well, and it wasn't even explicitly a sin issue, but it was just a like they were going to subliminate the pain into longing for heaven and like not worry yeah. about it. And yeah. that was an extreme couple of cases. Like I, I wouldn't say that was like normal, but it was definitely not surprising to run into. I yeah, the martyr stuff is that came out of that like suffering theology was real. Real intense. Oh, it's so, so messed up. I think what's strange, and by the way, sorry to any listeners who make it sound like I'm yelling. I am yelling because my um, microphone <laughs> didn't work. 
I feel like I'm yelling this whole thing. But I feel like there's a really strange way that all these bad theologies connected together to form such a damaging situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that like one of them could have maybe sorted through it, but you know, there was so much, so much. And just speaking for myself and like the, a couple people I, I, whose stories I watched up close, the purity culture element of this combined with the suffering stuff set people up for a lot of experiences of sexual abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Or like just really bad sex (laughs) without knowing that they were experiencing really bad sex that just like set them up to be like, this is just my lot to like take it and be fine. And yeah, that just makes, breaks my heart. But yeah, I know. Yeah. It's so disappointing when you're like, (laughs) You have, you're only allowed one person. You're not allowed to have any, you have no frame of reference for whether or not the sex you're having is good. It's very upsetting because then eventually you move on with your life and you discover (laughs) that was bad sex actually. So this is why I got all my friends vibrators before I bounced. Anyway. um, (laughs) Before I bounced. (laughs) (laughs) I think the last question we have is is about, you know, kind of passing passing the torch back. Like how do you what would you tell people who are looking to figure out if they want to leave how to how to learn how to listen to their bodies, how to learn to like figure out what's good for them. Or what helped you figure those things out? Want to leave the church, want to leave their relationships? What do you mean? Yes. these things often go together but they don't have to but right i think that i think that we kind of nailed it earlier i think if are a lot of your listeners kids that like kids that are growing up in the church or have grown up in the church or there's a good portion of people who have like grown up in the church and left and then an equally good portion of people who like our significant others or friends or family members or people who are curious because they know someone who grew up in the church and are trying to understand. Or like they're they're the auntie of a teenager who's trying to get out. Right. I see. I see. I think I, I don't know. I don't, I, you can't boil all this stuff down into it. And I guess why I was conflating the, the two like marriage and the church as similar. I think my approach for both of them was very, very similar in terms of just like, these are both really intimate dynamics. Your spiritual relationship is a very intimate, intimate thing um, to let some, someone into to control or to influence. And then your, your intimate partnerships, like, and learning how to trust. Like I never made a like clear, like I'm not going to church anymore because I don't believe break. It was a, I can't go to church without having a panic attack. So I'm going to listen to my body and just do that. And it was very kind of similar, just giving myself permission to just not know where I was going or why, but just like trust my gut and run. Exactly. And and that I think is such a good point. Like it just, you don't have to, I think trusting your body knows things like in my book, I said something like, your body is ahead of your mind, which I don't care if scientists don't agree with me. I think, I think for me, my body knew all along that this whole system was so effed up, but I overrid it with mental and intellectual arguments. And I think your body does know, know stuff and, and, and it's accurate a lot. And most of the time. And I think what you're really looking for is joy. It's like, you know, if you haven't, if you don't have your identity figured out, that's okay. Then go for joy. What makes you feel really happy, really alive? If you're not even sure of that, then what I would, then what I encourage is like, think back to when you were a kid and no one was staring you down. No one, you, maybe you were in your room. I don't know, but you were just doing something and you, you thought, Oh, I love this. Like, 
something that made you feel alive, whether you were painting or go for that. Go, go just start somewhere that makes you feel alive. It does not matter what it is, you know, for, for somebody who loves, maybe who's going to get into athletics, maybe they just love to run around in circles. Okay. So when you were five, you loved running around in circles, go run around in circles and figure out what's next after that. It will be, it's, it's like, when I was going through this process of reconnecting with myself, all I can say is that like, there was really no rhyme or reason, but every step I took toward something that made me feel good and happy and joyful took me to the next step. It was like literally like these little stepping stones mm -hmm. and I have to pave the way. The way was there. All I did was just take steps. And I think each one will, every time you do that, it will lead you somewhere else that's good for toward yourself. You know, does that make sense? Yes, that's yes. more or less what I have also spent my adulthood doing and it's worked out pretty well so far. Yeah. I, I, I love how much that echoes like how so many people I know have figured out that they were trans is like not because of what hurt, but because of what gave them joy being mm -hmm. like, oh, I like this. I feel good this way. And following yeah. that. I think exactly. there's, I think that applies in so many different circumstances. Which is so, it's such a radical thing when like you have spent any time in a church that just like is there to like squelch any joy out of your life and say that's holy. Like if you can hold on and like reignite that like little spark of joy, that is like a radical act of yeah. like just self love and acceptance and healing really. Yes. And remembering that you can be fierce about that. Like you can be fierce about saying about all of it, about the journey. This is, this is what I'm doing. And I understand maybe you don't understand it. Um, your parents or your friends, you know, as you walk towards yourself, you do lose relationships, some of mm -hmm. them. But the great thing is you will also gain relationships that really are accepting and supportive and the kind of relationships that also make you feel good. You know, the, and that's the kind of relationships, they're the kind of relationships that don't require you to lie to be present in them. Yeah. And, like, or to freeze in like a constant state of like worry. Yeah. yeah. Not being a non-entity is great. <laughs> yeah. So it can feel really dark, but it, it, it does, you know, it's taken me a long time, I think, to get out of the darkness, but it did happen. It did. I think this is why I love the like comedy element that you've been playing around with is just like watching play come back into people's lives yes. is always like a sign of like they're well. <laughs> I know. I was like, it felt like I would never get there. Like even my original like comedy bits were very biting and sarcastic. And like mm -hmm. I, that was even like, you know, last year. And I feel like already it's like, I'm, I can even see that I'm starting to lose that edge and literally just have fun with it. So that's good. That's so, so good. good. My <laughs> last question for you. Um, what's, what's next for you? Like, what are what do you want to do? I know yeah. like you, I'm seeing like two keyboards and a guitar right now. So like music, obviously something's happening there, but like what's now that you've got, you've got this out of the way you can think what's yeah. your, what's your dream. Yeah, you can I even feel... sing the tangled song if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, when will my life begin? Yeah. Yeah. I think I just like this week I went and I bought, I worked on my keyboard situation and I'm, trying to get, um, I don't really have a studio here because it's an apartment and there's too much noise coming from the outside, but I do want to write a lot more music and I don't know exactly what form that's going to take. Um, whether it's going to be just like me as singer songwriter or me as mu um, a musical writer or what, not that. And I'm also planning on writing a one woman show of sorts. So that will be music and comedy and talking oh my god so, i'm so excited i'm so excited I'm for that i'm really trying to put the whole thing together and so there'll be multiple characters in this thing i i have no idea what i'm gonna do i haven't even started but i know that's what i want to do but i also decided this week you know that i i also want to be constantly making music because i just love i have to keep music very central because it's so much of who i am 
Mm-hmm. So I love That's that. That's so great. I'm so excited. Anytime you want to come on and do a character, <laughs> let us know. We will happily. Okay, make room. Ask if she says it's okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just keep us posted. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find okay. you online uh, and buy your book, where should they be looking? I'm mostly on Instagram. I have some music on Spotify. Um, I have a website people can visit. It's Shannon Bond, B-O-N-N-E dot com. That's my that's my current stage name. I don't actually know what my name is going to be moving forward, but right now all the options are on the table. But that's my website, shannonbond.com. And yeah, mostly Instagram. Okay. Cool. We'll put links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been so nice. Yeah, it's so great to talk to you guys. And I'm I'm glad you guys are finding finding joy and finding. I'm glad you are too. I have been rooting for you. I'm so happy that you're finding yourself and doing the things that bring you life. It makes me so happy. Yeah, it makes it makes me happy too, but it makes me happy when anyone is doing that also. Yes. Yeah. I hope all your listeners out there are doing that too. Thank you All so right. much. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Cult podcast. Our music is from the track Janet by the band The Heavens on their album Stenazzo. Our producer is Dave the Great. Our podcast is made possible by Patreon donations from listeners like you. To support us and join our community on Slack, check out patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Thanks for listening.